Now I might say things like, I don't like a third paragraph. Get rid of the third paragraph and do it again. <laughs> Savage. And it'll just get rid of it and just change it for It doesn't have feelings, right? It's not going to be offended. <laughs> it's not like, why would you say that? It doesn't go in the corner and cry because I said something you didn't like. Or Sometimes I say something to Siri and it says, oh, that's not nice. <laughs> this is James Schramko. James Schramko here. Welcome back to my podcast. This is episode 990. <laughs> it feels weird saying that. I've got my friend, uh, guest, partner, Will Wang. Welcome back to our podcast. Thanks for having me back, James. Wow. You got uh, you got a top 10 podcast last year, and that's pretty significant because we do around we did about 100, maybe not quite 100, maybe 90. I'm not sure exactly the number. It was quite a lot. And you scored a top 10 podcast. Again, you just keep doing it. The, the audience love what you've got to bring to the table. The topics are always interesting. That one, I think, was about becoming a freelancer. Of course, you've had great success as a freelancer with your marketing agency, Growth Labs with a Z.com. Today, we're revisiting a topic that we spoke about quite some time ago. And this one's interesting, Will, because when we spoke about this last time, the topic we spoke about last time was can AI replace humans for copywriting was the topic. It was episode 844. We did it in July 2021. Okay, so... That's almost two years ago. And back then, I would say we were talking about a pretty far off topic that not many people were thinking about. There were a few tools around that people were starting to use in the very specific online marketing community, but the general public had never heard of things like chat GPT. It wasn't on the news. They weren't talking about this AI starting to do homework for kids at school or passing university (laughs) exams. And we weren't hearing about the tectonic plate shifting you know, the power struggle between Microsoft and Google and all these things weren't funded then. And we weren't hearing Elon Musk say AI is evil and all the rest of it. I'm just sort of paraphrasing now. I don't know what he (laughs) exactly said, but that was the sentiment. I think back then the consensus was that it wasn't quite up to the job yet, but keep an eye out in the future. Right. Yeah. Well, it's almost two years down the track, Will Wang. What have you got to say about copywriting with AI? And what do you think the big issues are right now? Yeah, I can't believe it's been two years since that episode. It just kind of goes to show you the kind of stuff we were thinking about two years ago and playing around, you know, the idea that we were exploring. I did episodes on AI six years ago. I've had podcast guests talking about AI can build you a presentation for a keynote. And that was like back then. Or (laughs) another guest was talking about AI, using AI in the background for your ad campaigns, helping you to put together campaigns and that that all the big platforms are going to be using AI. They're going to use it for search engine optimization. They're going to use it to run your campaigns for you and get the best ads. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Who knows? But we're now seeing like this is a tool in our toolkit, the marketer's toolkit. In the previous episode, 989 with Alana, we were talking about AI for marketing. We actually built a campaign on the fly, right? If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to it. That was specifically talking talking around traffic. Today, we're specifically talking about copywriting and marketing campaigns. And the next one I'm going to do on this sort of series is AI relating to SEO. So that's coming down the track. But today, Will, what do you think the issue would be if you were a customer looking to hire a copywriter or a marketing agency to help you with your copywriting? And also, I'm interested in what would be the viewpoint from a copywriter's perspective, which you're obviously a brilliant copywriter and running these campaigns. How is this affecting you? 
Yeah, those are two really good questions. And I might solve the second one first and give perspective on the way I'm seeing copy because I've gone so deep into this and I'm playing around with ChatGPT, OpenAI, all these other AI copywriting services every single day. So it might sound strange to people because there's a message out there that people are saying copywriting or AI is going to replace copywriters, right? It's going to replace copywriters and graphic designers and all these professional services. They're, they're under threat. So people might be wondering, well, why is a copywriter on here talking about being potentially replaced by AI? So what I've seen so far, and yes, the trend is actually accelerating where AI is getting better and better at copy, especially the more data that we feed it. But I actually think that AI itself actually enhances a copyright. Like it gives us a superpower to 10x the output that we've got. So over the course of the past six months or 12 months, we've gone really deep into experimenting with this because I think it was a Steve Jobs quote that said, you know, if you don't kill your business, someone else will. So I've been trying to tear it apart and say, well, if my clients decided to use AI to write their own copy, what is that going to look like? What is the quality of the output they're going to get? And there's good news in that for other copywriters whereby if you're good at your craft, if you're good at what you do, the stuff that you're going to get out from AI is still going to be a lot better than whatever else in the market's doing. Because the way I see it as from a copywriting perspective is that the output of what the machine spits out comes from the input, right? If you put crap in, you get crap out. Yeah. And that's goal is going to be the same with AI. It, AI cannot, in a way, mimics the way that humans think, but at the same time, it's the same thing, right? If you give a human a good input, it might give you good output and vice versa. So one of the things as a copywriter is I actually think in this current session time, it might change over the next three to five years, but in this point in time, I'm actually very optimistic about it because it allows me to do more and create more output with my time. From my client's perspective, which is the first part of the question, I know that some of my clients are actually starting to play with AI. I know that they've you know got people in their teams who are just experimenting, playing with it, but it also comes back to you know the core principle of why they hire us. So we get hired as an agency because we specialize in what we do because we live and breathe this stuff and we play the inputs, we play the outputs, we understand what goes on with it, we understand how the AI thinks about copy. And it's just not something that our clients, A, have the time to do or B, want to be doing. So it's good news both ways because it actually means that our clients can get more campaigns done faster and we can test and experiment and do a lot more split testing. But for us, it also means we output a lot faster results. So I see it as actually a very positive thing on the market. Unless, of course, you're kind of, you know, not great at what you do or you're kind of mediocre. In that case, yes, you will get completely wiped out by the AI. <laughs> but if you're a good copywriter or you're invested into perfecting your craft at a high level in the game, if anything, it's just going to enhance what you can actually do. Okay. I think this is really important. So the big differentiator is, will AI impact you if you're a copywriter? The answer is it depends. It depends if you're a beginner or mediocre copywriter or if you're an advanced or really refined copywriter. I think this is so true. It could be applied to most fields, right? Lawyers, yeah. accountants, coaches, right? The AI will get you up to a certain point pretty quickly. It's a great augmentation tool, right? It can help you yeah. do research. It can help you create headlines and hooks and things for consideration. You can batch test more campaigns. It can map out a lot of the legwork that an intern might have had to do in the past. So I think it can bring the work up to the level where a really accomplished high level person can refine and polish it faster. Yeah. So I think that's how you're using it in your little ninja agency there, your <laughs> growth labs with a Z.com. So you're saying that a customer wouldn't just switch to the AI tool and not need an agency anymore. In your case, it just helps the agency 
bring the result much faster and give the client more options to laser focus and pinpoint campaign results just in a more systemized way. I guess it's kind of like an architect, right? Yeah. If you deal with an architect, the old way might, they might've pulled out a big sheet and drawn with pens and rulers and stuff. Now there's all these software tools. They just punch in some stuff and it sort of maps out all the dimensions and the materials and the spaces and it actually provides like a list of all the materials you need to build the thing and everything and it could even cost it. So it's a tool to accelerate the output, but the output you're saying still needs professional. That's what I'm hearing clearly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's actually a great analogy because if you use that same analogy of an architect and how they work with the clients, it's kind of like saying we've built this tool that, you know, when we call it a sandbox, which is which is a more technical term, it's where we feed our own data sets into the AI and we get very different outputs to someone who doesn't have the AI yes. system and environment that we've built. So we've got that in, in space, right? We've got so much data in terms of copy and campaigns that we can throw at our own sandbox that it wouldn't really make sense for clients to go and build their own because like, you know, if you were building a house, if you were buying a house or trying to build it, you wouldn't go and create a software that would do what architects can do for you. And then go and create a software to project manage and then do all of this. Exactly. Yeah, because you're, going, you're not going to buy the licensing. You're not going to understand how to operate it. Uh, so even though the software exists and you might be able to hack at it, it's actually it's funny because there's software that shapes surfboards, right? Yeah, yeah. But you need to run on a Windows computer and you have to work out how to – Like, I'd love to play around with that, but it's also just much easier for me to sit next to someone who knows the <laughs> software and describe to them my perfect board and then they design it and I look at it. Yeah, Right. So I get it. And what we're talking about here is quality of the prompts. You probably have your own proprietary list of prompts, which is effectively your algorithm or your version of the software to manipulate the tool to get the best possible outcomes for you, taking into account what it can and can't do, what its limitations are. We saw a glimpse of that in the previous episode where we can ask it for things like including jokes or we can write it in a certain tone or voice. Or if, the, if it's already been programmed with an artist or a name of somebody else, it can actually mimic that, but still needs a professional. You've got this great metaphor of a three-year-old super kid. Would you like to share that? <laughs> yeah. So when I'm training new team members or I'm talking about AI and trying to figure out how to use it myself, I go back to this meme or an image. I, I don't even know what to describe it, but there's this little Japanese boy, I think it is. You can see him all on the internet. He's got nunchucks and you know, he's got a six pack and he's got Bruce Lee on the background. He's just like this super kid, right? He's <laughs> this amazing martial artist. He's three years old and six pack just sticks out. And I always go back to that kid. And I think, well, if you had a super three-year-old that can do amazing feats of strength, that can think through problems, uh, not think through problems, but you know, he can solve complex equations, but the limitation is the kid is only three. So the kid doesn't really know what's right or what's wrong. He's got to teach you that. It doesn't really understand a lot of the contextual stuff. Even though it can pick up really heavy objects, it doesn't really understand why or how or what the best way is to do that. So in a way, AI for me at the moment is very much like a superpowered three-year-old. It can do some amazing things, but we've got to be the parents. We've got to be you know, giving the right inputs and guidance to do it the right way. That makes a lot of sense. So it's basically a magic wand, but you've got to know how to use the magic wand. Exactly. Exactly right. Like at wizard school, right? They get their magic wand, <laughs> but it's really powerful and it's been handed down from generation to generation, but they don't know the, which spells to use on it yet or how to get – but if you're you know, a masterful wizard and you've been through school, you've used it in real life, and now you know that magic wand basically can you know, control the whole world with the magic wand. 
<laughs> if you yeah. if you're a super wand user. So what you're saying is as an agency you know how to use the tools for the best impact and it, it's a case of the old Dean Jackson saying and the title of a Dan Sullivan book incidentally but it's the who not the how. Yeah. In this case it's still probably better to go and find the expert who can build your campaign strategically and get you the result you want like a laser beam instead of trying to f- figure all this out. But just be aware that these are the tools they're using now. Are there any agencies who are pretending that they're not using this stuff still? Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's such a prevalent part of life. If you hear people talking about it on the news or on social media, not from the marketing world or they're not an entrepreneur, you know that it's kind of going through everywhere. It's mainstream. It's mainstream. It's totally mainstream, right? Yeah. So- for people who are sort of experimenting with it, mm. what was the learning curve that you went through from your starting point to where you're at now? I know for me, it was discovering that there are magical prompts. Like mm. my wife knows how to make her phone turn on the light by using some spell, right? It's kind of, <laughs> kind of a fun trick. I don't know the spell, so I can't do it. But I realized there's certain prompts that get you really good results. Mm. And I think because I'm a reasonable communicator, when I ask Uh, I've been using GPT-3, when I ask it to do things, I'm asking it in a way that does get pretty good results because I'm fairly clear and specific. I might ask it for 10 things or, you know, I I basically contain the the request in a way that is sort of fully explanatory without needing ambiguity. And that's been getting me good results. But what have you discovered as you've been playing with these tools? Sure. So what I might actually do is, um, I think we'll come back to the point of looking at it from a higher level in just a bit because one of the key things to understand is that great you might get some good emails or some good sales letters but how do you use that and actually use it to get results in campaign which is i feel the overarching theme of this right so you're talking about don't get bogged into single tactics when there's a strategy at play here exactly and we can come back and talk about how we look at ai fitting into the strategic piece because that's very important and if you don't if you lose sight of the forest for the trees you're going to go down into this massive AI hole and you're going to try. Well, I mean, example might someone might build a whole campaign and strategy around selling to the wrong audience type or not discovering mm-hmm. the real reason why people buy their stuff. So they've put all the work into the AI and they build all their stuff, but it's actually not going to make any sales. Exactly. Exactly. So we'll come back to that. I can give some examples of how we think for campaigns for clients. But in terms of the promise, because that's kind of really interesting, what I've been really nerding out about recently <laughs> is. The prompts that I tend to use is to break a task or what I want the output to be into 10 to 15 prompts. And what I mean by that is, for example, if we want AI to write us a sales email or a long form you know, landing page, for example, sales page, if you just go and input, write me a long form sales page selling um, this widget or this gadget or this coaching or this consulting. Actually, consulting might be a good example. If we say, hey, write me a long form sales page to sell my consulting services, the output is going to be absolutely rubbish because the input hasn't given enough context. So where we start is I think, look, if I'm going to train someone from scratch, someone who can do all this stuff but doesn't really know how or why, where would I start? And I always start with having thinking about context, right? What context do I need to give someone for them to give me the output that I require? So I don't even start by saying, write me an email to do this. It's just too early in the process. I'll start at the very beginning and get it to give me ideas or benefits or pain points. So for example, I could say, you know, what are the biggest challenges small business owners have? And it would go away and 
crawl through, you know, its database, its engine, its brain, and go, well, here's the top 10 challenges a small business might have. It might be lead generation, it might be sales, it might be having social media, doing all this kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. It'll just give me a massive list. Well, by the way, I think you've already described what 99% of people would be doing wrong. <laughs> They're going straight for the end game. Yeah. Have you been talking to Alana? Uh, no. Because on the previous episode, exactly the same. We just start by saying, hey, I'm, we're going to be talking about this particular type of person and I want you to tell me what sort of pain points they have. And like, It's basically a dance. We know the end game, Damn. but we're not starting there. We're starting with the beginning. We're just locking in all the basics to get to a build up where the end result Damn. is going to be so relevant exactly. that you can't miss. Exactly right. Exactly right. It's amazing. You, the two separate people in my world have, have got the, a similar methodology arrived at in their own way because you're both clever. I mean, she was a data analyst and you're a geeky copy genius. So and it's fantastic that you've both arrived at a similar methodology. Yeah, I, I don't think that's an accident, actually. I, I, In my corporate life, I was a data analyst too. So I think that's probably where we're getting this from. <laughs> oh my God, this is crazy. All right. So... In our next episode, I'll probably got to now filter for make sure someone's a data analyst, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely helps. Though. It definitely helps in terms of like understanding North perspective. It explains so much. It just explains so much. You approach it with yeah. a methodology of pinpointing a precise outcome. It's well, why you're good at what you do. Yeah, thanks, James. Yeah, so to go back to kind of you know, the next steps in it, obviously we started at a very high level, right? Like give me the 10 biggest pain points a small business owners will have. It'll give you a 10 points, which is so widely different. And I haven't worked with you know a single consultant where their strength lies in all 10. There's bits and pieces where you know they might be great at five of the points, they might be great at two or one, whatever it is. But it takes a team to build a good business. So that's why. But hey, the AI will give you 10 points. And the next step is, well, let's hone in on where we want to go and start leading it down the path. So it, for example, if I was to write a campaign for ourselves and we're talking about small businesses with growth you know, challenges, I might say, great, tell me more about points one, two, and five, because they're the ones who relate to growth. And so AI would then go back, look back over its database, have a think about it and go, well, here's points one, two, and five. She's an expanded version of what they actually mean. And so my next point might be, great, give me some examples of each point. And at this point in time, the AI is really starting to get, pull some detail-specific examples about, well, there was this one business, for example, they're a jewelry business and they did this and this happened and that led into their growth. And it would pull some pretty amazing things out of, just out of the air and just out of the database. I've even directed it, you know, tell me about someone famous who this principle applies to and it can mm. pull out stuff. And I've actually included some of those in emails and it makes you seem really knowledgeable when you say, you know, back in <laughs> yeah. 1917, such and such uh, experienced this. And then he had a setback, but he overcame all odds. And like it's applying this, the story that you want to a real life um, historical example, because that's all in the database. Yep. And it looks like you've, you've done an incredible amount of research, but it exemplifies the point you're trying to make. So it's all available to us. Yeah. Magic, powerful wand, this thing. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, exactly. So at this point, we've gone down probably three or four prompts out to get it to where it's really focused on the right examples. So that means it's got context. Right, because AI kind of follows it, he kind of learns, like, here's what you're asking me about. Here's your next question. Contextually, I th AI is like, well, I think this is where you're going based on the questions you've asked and the outputs that you actually like. So we're telling it, hey, get rid of eight points, not relevant, focus on these two. So now it goes, oh, okay, so you're really zoning in on these two points. And now you've got some solid examples. 
And so the next step would be to look at the examples and to say, well, okay, let me give you more inputs. And so the next thing we might do is, yeah, I like you typing, great, these points are very relevant. We have done this and I'll give it results or pointers that I wanted to include in the next bit. You know, can you turn this into an email, but include these proof points, include these results. And then that's probably where we first start looking at getting it into kind of the right output. But even at this stage, the output's probably 10 to 20% of what you're actually looking for. It's still not right. So it'll go right this long winded thing with these, you know, this specific examples it pulled through. You'll go back and go use more examples from, use more data points that I've got. Let me give you some more data points and include this in the email or sales copy. And we're going to include all of that. Now you've got a really long document, right? Because you've, you've got <laughs> its own examples. You've given the three or four points of input. You've given the case studies. And then you can go, well, our company actually does this, include this. So you're kind of adding, right? You're adding everything. But people are probably wondering, how's this all working? The easy explanation with tools like GPT-3 or ChatGPT, you type your question and then it just actually gives you the answer on the spot and then you can type the next thing underneath it. And it's like this continuous discussion that you would have with a person, but it's just a robot. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. So, And all these chats are saved, right? You can look them all up and uh, co- copy and paste them, et cetera, later. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at this point, you've given it a lot of inputs. It's giving you this massive write-up about stuff. This is the point where you start actually massaging and cutting and sculpting things, right? You've got probably too much. You've got bits and pieces where you're like, that's cool, I can really use this. And other bits where it's like, this is kind of rubbish. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't sound human. Well, that's where it helps to be an expert, right? Yeah, that's where you need to nuance. Like if you were just a kid at school trying to write a high-level marketing campaign, Mm. you wouldn't know if it's good or not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's where the pattern recognition and experience recognition comes into it. So at this point, when I look at it, I go, okay, there's elements which are okay, there's elements which are rubbish. It's never 100% like this is good at this point, not in this time in AI anyway. So this is where we start cutting. I might say things like, I don't like a third paragraph. Get rid of the third paragraph and do it again. <laughs> Savage. And it'll just get rid of it and just change it through. It doesn't have feelings, right? It's not going to be offended. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like, why would you say that? It doesn't go in the corner and cry because I said something you didn't like. Or Sometimes I say something to Siri and it says, oh, that's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and then it should go into what you want anyway because it's like, as if they know. So, you know, it injects humor into it quite nicely. And so at that point, I might even come back with a problem, but depending on who I'm writing for, one of the exercises we do with our clients when they come on board is I talk to them and I get a feel for their tonality. I get a feel for how they speak or how their salespeople approach it. I'll look at the brand guidelines and look at the words they like to use or the audience. And so this again comes through experience. And if you don't have experience, you're going to look at it and go, oh, this is good enough. But this is where I start playing with the tonality. I say, look, make it a little bit more friendly. Oh, that was too much, right? Make it a little bit more formal, but take out the second line. And this is where we can start really honing down and sculpting what we need. Mm. Uh, and so the end result, which you know, people listening to this might think, well, okay, so does it give me a complete piece of copy I can take? It doesn't actually. It's not quite there yet. For all of this kind of stuff, what it really does is it saves me the physical time of having to write the first draft. But at the end of all of the output, and we'll come back to how I you know, used to write copy versus how I write copy now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of all of this prompting and cutting and adding and things like that, ultimately it gives me a document that's about 60 to 70% complete. And then I've got to take it offline and go through it and actually edit and add in human nuances and context and add in subtlety and you know different flows and more emotional, like psychological stuff. Because that's the thing that's 
the most difficult to get AI right now. AI doesn't do emotional stuff and it doesn't have real stories. That's the one thing it can't do. It can't tell you a real story about itself because it hasn't got them. Not yet because it doesn't have enough data points about that. In the future, it might, because if you had to think about how a machine thinks, and this is kind of something that I keep getting about back in my corporate days. So but it's essentially, I mean, you know, the machine works in a series of ones and zeros, yes and no's. At the moment, it doesn't have enough ones and zeros to go, is this good sales copy? What's the conversion rate on this sales copy? Eventually though, it might get up to the point where it's like, I tried this one word in 10 million other variations of the sales copy, and each variation gave me a worse conversion rate than having this other word in there. And then that's when it starts getting a bit tricky, like, oh, can it actually write great copy? It's kind of what the platforms are doing with their ad algorithms, right? Uh, when they try and auto exactly optimize campaigns for conversions. Yeah, exactly. And now we're going to see on the, if that information can get to the front end of the machine, then it'll be interesting. Mm. So it's just a matter of time of, you know, uh, where it can get to the stage. But that being said, like campaign, campaign data, sales data, it's kind of difficult for the machines to get at the moment. So I think there's still a little ways off before it gets to the psychology and the understanding of the sales bit. Part of me wonders if we should even be training these machines. You know, I wonder if Elon's right. But I'm pretty scared by the, the future of the humanity. But <laughs> Well, when they talk about, you know, at the time of recording this, it'll be out of date by the time it gets published a few weeks later. Mm. But the next version of the software that I'm using will be 100 times more powerful. It'll be trillions of calculations. Mm. When you combine this with quantum computing, yeah, we really could have a Skynet situation. You know, it'd be very interesting. I'm cautious about it. Mm. I'm not like hyped. This is the greatest thing ever. I'm not a dinosaur resisting it, saying, yeah. oh, no, this is something that uh, we don't need. It's happening. It's not going back. Yeah. Whether it's good or not, I'm not sure. But I feel like I want to report on it. That's what I'm doing here. I'm talking about what is happening in the real world right now at the thin edge of the wedge. Yeah. We've just heard from Alana. We're hearing from Will. And pay attention because it's changed the process inside a high-performance agency I'm curious if you feel like it's getting you results faster or better results, or if it's just cut down the cost that it would be for a customer to engage a service like yours. Uh, I wouldn't say it's it hasn't gotten us better results. We've tested this running things for ourselves where it's true, like you know, 80% AI versus 100% human. Human still outperforms by and far yep. quite a bit at the moment. But what it has done is it's enabled us to enhance the human output. So what I mean by that is uh, my old process of writing copy before, it used to be very paper and pen based. So I used to go and uh, we still do the planning where it's on a whiteboard or it's pen and paper because if I get the right hooks, the right angles, the right pain points and all the emotional stuff, that's going to give me a better output. But now instead of having to spend 10 hours drafting and redrafting and writing it physically on a piece of paper, I can plug it through to AI systems and it gives me a working draft, but it's only the first draft of probably 10 drafts that I've got to do. So it saves me time not having to physically write the stuff out, take the photo, my team type it up, I then go and edit that. Does it mean you might be able to you know, run two campaigns instead of one? That's exactly what it means. Yep, that's exactly what it means. So it really just cuts down my output time by more than half. So that's what's happened to us. We're using AI tools in the background to help us create snippets for socials. Yeah. And it just meant we went from one a day to two or three a day. Yeah. Uh, with the exact same team, but the tool is leveraging what was done manually. Mm. Yep. And from a copy perspective, it's actually so much easier to edit than it is to write. 
nice to time and time again. My, there's a really funny way of saying that, I guess, but my clients turn into expert copywriters when they're trying to edit my copy. <laughs> to try it for them, for them to write the campaigns themselves, they stare at a screen and go, this is too hard. So no copywriter would ever have to stare at a blank screen again. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what it's, it's like. It creates motion. Exactly. And just motion, momentum, and speed. Yeah. Okay. And so for the customer, it means they might have more opportunities, more different campaigns to try it, you know, faster to get to their end result quicker, et cetera. Mm. So what I'm hearing loud and clear is AI hasn't replaced your agency just yet. No, if anything, it's, it's made us even more valuable to our clients and it's meant that we can take on more clients and do even more. Is that because an average agency who doesn't even know how much they don't know is in trouble, but they're not aware of it and they're going to be swiped out of the universe? Yeah, I think it's always, if you look at the bell curve, right? If you look at data, things happen in bell curves. And I think most agencies are kind of around the middle of the pack where they follow what everyone else is doing, uh, but they don't really try and come up with their own methodology or they, they don't try and hit perfection or they've got the wrong metrics that they're gearing towards. Whereas we've always been about the client results first, which is why some of the clients we work with, it, it's on a revenue share deal. Same as you've taught, because if they get results, we get results. So performance-based because you're good. Mm. That's how I summarize it. Yeah. What type of clients getting a good results with you? Well, just uh, it's worth asking while we're here. Yeah. So we've got two different types of clients um, that get the best results. One is obviously the bigger type of clients, probably doing you know, twenty to fifty million a year, if not more. And they just come through, just like run our campaigns, fill fill our pipeline. We're all good. Other type are smaller businesses doing probably about you know, and the numbers always go up and down. There's always exceptions, but around three to five hundred thousand dollars a year. Yep. And we work with these clients and re-engineer the offers and the marketing and get them to a million a year pretty quickly. So those are kind of two types. So six to seven, the six to seven jump. Yeah, exactly. How do they contact you? Uh, best way to do that would be through our website, which is growthlabswithaz.com, or just find me on LinkedIn, um, connect with me, and we can have a chat there as well. Or send me an email, I'll introduce you. I'm also interested, Will, what's your message for someone listening to this? And, you know, given the context that we talked about it a couple of years ago, mm. we're talking about it now. I'm curious where you think, where will it be when we talk about it in two years from now? And what's our call to action? What do we need to be aware of or to do right now? Yeah, I think in terms of reflecting on what's happening and making a prediction on what's going to happen into the future, I think it's a really good time in terms of an opportunity because if you can leverage the technology as it is now, you're going to have a distinctive advantage to people who don't, right? Even if that's for someone like us where we have the advantage in building a model and you just leverage our model. So I don't think AI will get to the point, at least not in the next foreseeable future, where it understands sales psychology and campaign. I mean, how you put a strategy together, who, how to identify our you know best clients psychologically, and going through not just demographics but psychographics and all of that kind of high level thinking that comes with experience in putting campaigns together. So, but I think what it does mean though is that by using technology, either trying to figure out yourself or for a partner loan agency like us, you just accelerate your results. So if you had bad results in the past, you'll continue to get bad results faster. <laughs> but if you get if you can get good results, in theory you can get it 10 times faster than you were previously. So it's more about the leverage. It's like and the analogy I use is when um when you're talking about fearing where technology is oh, well, while I was doing the fearing about technology, it's like when um Ford introduced the car and started to replace horses. Yeah, it's just one thing we've got to be aware of. And you can really be helpful if you know how to use it correctly. 
I think there will be inflation in the market. There'll be more volume. That's what's happening. It's just create, we're able to create more content. Other people can create more content. I think the differentiator is, is it the right content in the right place, at the right time? And that's where the human still helps. Uh-huh. Will Wang, so good to catch up again. As always, I hope you'll come back and continue to share with us. And uh, I look forward to that so much. Awesome. Thanks again, James. It's always a pleasure coming back home there and uh, talking to you about all this interesting stuff that's happening. Now, we're going to put all this up on episode 990 on jamesshramco.com. The transcript will be actually quite useful in this case. There'll be some prompts there, et cetera, that we discuss. So have a listen back to this episode and share it with someone who you think needs to understand AI more and how it impacts them. If they're looking to engage an agency, make sure the agency understands this too. Take care. Hey, so my podcast is coming up to episode 1000 and I'm wondering if you want to be a part of it. So my team have sent me this thing here, sort of asked them to put together. What I want to hear about, if you've been listening to my podcast over any length of time, have you had a success from it? Have you had an insight from it? Did you have a favorite guest? Was there one soundbite you heard that had a big profound impact in some way in your life or business? Do you just have any general comments or thoughts that you would like to share that will go out into this episode? So my team are collecting a couple of audios and videos. You could use Loom like I'm recording this on or send audio if you prefer or a private YouTube video or whatever. I'd be keen to get you did to send some special memory of the podcast to my team. If you send it to support at jamesshramco.com, keep it short, please. Just keep it under a minute or two minutes. And we might be able to include that in the episode 1000 and uh, have a celebration around this uh, show. Thank you so much. This is James Shramco. 